welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home, your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Next movie that we're discussing is La Llorona, uh, 2019. Uh, also, uh, Not the Curse of La Llorona, which is uh, one of the uh, movies in the uh, Conjuring universe. Oh, shit. That I watched The Curse of... of La Llorona. No, I'm sure you did. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that piece of shit will be covered during the, uh, Conjuring, the Conjuring universe seasons. So there you go. We uh, we cover that during the 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 just the Warrens, I guess, is what we should call that season. But you know, whatever. We'll see how that goes. Okay. So wait a second. I, which one are we covering? Because I've seen almost all La Llorona movies, so I'm not really I'm not worried. But this is the one that was on Shutter, Shutter exclusive. It's set in South America, in uh, I believe I don't know if it's Brazil necessarily. I'm probably speaking of my ass on that one. But anyways, it's the uh, it is the uh, general who is on trial for the crimes he committed, and then his house has a visit from La Llorona. Oh fuck! I did not watch it. I don't think I've seen this one. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it either. There's so many. There's like three or four. I mean, did you know that there was like three or four La Llorona films? Oh, I know. I know there's like an old black and white version of it, I think. I so. haven't seen the black and white one. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we can review this one. Because the one that you and I saw back in the day, that was like 2014, wasn't it? No, 2019. No, 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 no. He's talking about the one from 2019, and I don't believe I've seen that one. That's the one we have. I didn't watch that. Hold on. No, because The Curse of La Llorona was in 2019, and we're not talking about that one. We're talking about the Shudder one. Yeah, I don't think. Fucking Sean, we haven't seen it. Well, we're at an impasse here, folks. <laughs> I don't want to tell you on that. <laughs> okay. You can, you, you can cover your La Llorona's, uh, which I have not watched, uh, other than The Curse. I mean, and like I said, we can save that one for another time. And I can go over this movie, and then you can, you know, uh, and we can do it that way, I guess. Okay, so. yeah. And I'll just edit the audio to kind of fix. I can edit the video, too, to cut all this out. So <laughs> that's hella funny. <laughs> So, which version of La Llorona did you watch? I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there for you. Okay, so clearly I've seen The Curse of La Llorona, um, and I'm not going to give away how I feel about that one. 
And I know we've seen one. I mean, it's from back in the day. And I don't mean back in the day, like black and white. Um, but I want to say it was, I want to say it was like 2014 for some reason or something around there. And I think it was in all Spanish. Like, I think it was one of those films that I had to read the subtitles. Me, a Latina, reading subtitles on a Spanish movie. It's pretty bad. Yes, but, um, and it was, it was actually pretty decent. Like, it it wasn't terrible. So, it wasn't, like, great, but it had some really good scares. And there was a part one and a part two of it, and part two was horrible. And then, of course, I've seen the Netflix cartoon, La Llorona. That was how I introduced my kids to it, which was not a good way, because La Llorona is a a staple in Mexican history and lore that we use to make sure our kids stay in bed. Now our kids stay in bed. So I guess I didn't have to do that. Um, Cause it was like, Oh, you know, you better like keep your feet covered and don't get out of bed or Llorona is going to grab you, you know, legit. That's like, and like, and like <laughs> grandma beans and the family, like they would all go outside your window and they would make the crying woman sounds and everything. So that was, that was how we grew up. We were fucking terrified of her. Uh, my kids, really like the Netflix series. <laughs> they thought it was cool. Also, all in Spanish. So, uh, unfortunately, they did not learn Spanish. Um, so, well, just go ahead and discuss, like, the lore of the movie, and then I'll, or the lore of the, the folk tale, and I'll kind of go over this movie that, that I watched at least, and we can kind of go from there. Do you want me to compare The Woman in White and La Llorona? Uh, well, I mean, if you just want to cover the lore of what La Llorona is, because I don't think we, I mean, some of our listeners might know what that's about. They might have heard the name, but they that, they have no clue. Like I, there's so many people I, that I, w- that I hear on podcasts that I were, you know, or on YouTube videos that I would suspect would should know this information and they can't even say Llorona right. And so I, I know that they don't know what the actual history of it is. So, okay. So in a nutshell, uh, let me break it down wiki wiki for you. Um, La Llorona is almost like a, it's the Hispanic version, almost of like, you almost like Hansel and Gretel, but they kind of, the kids, you know, end up dying. Um, and a jilted lover type situation where she's a woman who was growing up, or she's married to a man, uh, has her children, things seem to be going great. And for one reason or another, it could be that he was cheating on her and leaving her and she was going to take his children or he flat out just did and she couldn't afford to feed the children. So it could go either way. It could be like, oh, I'm doing this as revenge against the man that I loved. I'm going to kill his children because he was going to take them away from her. Or her children were literally starving to death and she was going to basically end their lives for them so they wouldn't suffer anymore. So you kind of get both stories. Either way, from what I learned growing up, as she was trying to enter the pearly gates to heaven, she was denied because she killed her children. Whether she did it, you know, out of a courtesy for them or whatnot, she was supposed to find the bodies of her children, and once she properly put them to rest, then she would be allowed to go to heaven. So the lore is is that she is roaming the earth, primarily at lakes and rivers, 
sometimes ponds or area where there might be a big puddle and very much water-based yes very much water-based and if she is able to achieve that she will take your children thinking that they are hers and when she brings these bodies you know to you know whether it be the pearly gates or the crossroads and they find out that it's not her children uh she has to continue the search and she will continue the search and take children until she finally achieves her goal now you would think and this isn't anything that has ever been addressed, that bringing so many children that are not yours, killing so many kids and bringing their bodies and saying, here, heaven, this is my fucking child. They'd be like, okay, you just get a ticket to hell, okay, at this point, because you're just fucking killing kids for no fucking reason. So that's never addressed because ultimately, much like a lot of the Christmas lore we've heard, the witch lore, this is stuff that is used to scare your children into be behaving, basically. So that is the lore that we have. And if you, I'm not going to go over the woman in white, but La Llorona is basically kind of a woman in white, too. Because both of the stories are similar in the fact that you have jilted lovers. Majority of the woman in white lore all across the world is her being jilted by either a fiance or a lover. Either she's married and she has a lover and her husband is involved where he kills them, or she thinks she can make a man fall in love with her and really he's in love with his wife. So it just circles around this woman that is obsessed with a man and becomes this evil entity because she isn't getting what she wants or is killed in a horrific way that now she's doomed to haunt the world uh, until she finds some sign, some sort of peace. Now, the woman in white that I'm aware of, at least for the European, uh, Anglo-European lore, is mostly like this. It's usually a woman who is, like you said, the jilted lover. Uh, she usually commits suicide in those tales, mm-hmm. and like... Uh, and she usually waylays men as they travel down the road or whatever, you know, it, it start out carriages, but then it was our horseback and then it moved to cars. But like, you'll, you'll see this woman in white, the damsel in distress, like off to the side of the road, you offer a ride mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, and usually the, the man is cursed after he, you know, takes the ride with her because that's, you know, that that's part of the lore. So that's, that's where the, the other version of a woman in white comes from basically. So. Yeah. Um, in the 2019 curse of La Llorona, you'll notice that water just kind of happens. It's like, she's making it happen. And uh, folks, that is fake. <laughs> Much like La Llorona uh, in, in Mexican lore, she could not just make that happen. And that was also another scare tactic was, you know, stay away from water so children wouldn't drown. So there was that. Um, and there was also a stay away from water uh, in, like, the rain or whatnot because you could get sick. So she was used as a scare tactic for many different things to, like once again, make your children kind of stay in line. Don't do this. Don't do but, that. But kind of in the... the style of a Grimm's fairy tale it's teaching your kids real adult issues but through the lens of like a uh, like a story basically yes Yes, exactly so that's what we have in terms of the lore okay um do you want me to cover the one that I saw and like go over all the stuff that I've got about it I mean absolutely you'll have to pronounce some of these names for me I cannot do these I don't know how to even start on some of these names to be honest okay. but anyways hold on let me go uh, oh actually no you put it down on the notes so 
Okay. Perfect. Yes. So it's La Llorona, the 2019 Shutter exclusive, uh, directed by how do you? Uh, it's Bustamante, but I don't know how to say his first name. I don't know if it's uh, Jarro. Um, that's how I, I think it's pronounced, or if it's just flat out Jero. <laughs> but uh, Jarro is how you would say in Spanish. Jarro Bustamante. Okay, it's also. So uh, written by him, mm-hmm. along with uh, Lissandro Sanchez, mm-hmm. and uh, music by Pascal Reyes, uh, or Pascual Reyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, budget I couldn't find. Uh, it did make a box office of 300000 internationally because where it's a Shutter exclusive, it never really got like a theater release. Um, principal players in this is Maria Mercedes Caroy, uh, who plays Alma. She is... La Llorona in this, uh, and she's also in the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever that's coming out, Ooh. so she's really stepped up from an independent film for, I mean, going to a big Disney production, which I kind of have a feeling it's going to bomb too, but that that's a whole other argument. Um, and then X Canul uh, is like one of uh, Jedro's uh, first films, so she was in that, and I, he's one of those directors that, you know, oh. if, if they'll work with him again, he'll, you know, have them in his movie. You have a job for life. Yeah, um, that's good. I mean, that's good whenever there's a, um, you know, a loyalty there amongst everybody involved. Uh, we have Sabrina De La, how do you say that? H-O-Z, I don't know. Hoss. Uh, Hoss? Yeah, Hoss. <laughs> okay. Uh, she was, uh, she plays Natalia. Uh, she was in Temblores or Tremors, <laughs> not the, not the movie with Kevin Bacon, not the great one. Uh, Margarita Kenefic, who plays Carmen, uh, Leo Diaz, who plays Enrique, uh, Maria Talon, who plays Valeriana, uh, who's also an ex canoe, like I said, and, and she was also in Tremors, mm-hmm. uh, or Temblores. And then Juan Pablo, uh, Ali Slager, uh, who plays Latana, uh, who was in Tim Blores and in The Killing Hour. So these, but there's a reason they they're all in the same movies. It, it's a very, it's Guatemalan is where this is from, and it's a very small filming community down there. And I'll get into the reason why, but I mean these people are badasses for uh, even filming what they did. Concerned that they, their legit government wants to kill them for some of the stuff they put out. Holy so, there shit! You go before we get into it, um. And the reason why is the synopsis for this movie, an aging Guatemalan dictator uh, put on trial for the atrocities he committed while in power is found guilty but not convicted because a higher court overrules the verdict. The locals, furious over the decision, conduct protests that force the dictator and his family to become prisoners within their palatial mansion. During this time, with most of the household waitstaff gone, a haunting young woman named Alma hires on as a maid. A strange phenomenon begins shortly thereafter, uh, the crimes of the past paid back to their transgressors. The wailing of a mother who lost her children signals the beginning of the end for those who wronged her and the ghost of those who were massacred get the revenge. Um, so the, the gist of this movie is in this one is that La Llorona and it tells you this throughout the movie. And I really like the way that it does it because it tells it it's the wife of the dictator who's been defending him for years, uh, saying that, you know, he didn't do all those atrocities to the the native, you know, Guatemalan people. And there, there's a big divide about that in the movie, too. It's like the dictator and his family are all, like, almost porcelain white. And then, of course, the natives that they, you know, su- suppressed and killed over the years were all the darker Guatemalans. And, 
that happens in those countries. I mean, they, they say it only happens in America. It happens in those countries in South America. So whatever they, you know, but, uh, the gist of it is, is that his wife stood by him for years, made up every excuse in her head that, you know, it's like, oh, well, there was all these whores coming to the, you know, military, brought in the military bases of these natives. Uh, but, uh, and, but uh, my, you know, husband, uh, the general, uh, didn't sleep with him. His men did, you know, pure lie because he was, you know, raping everybody he could get a hold of, too. He's just one of those guys. Uh, but he's like real old in age and so is she. So like, you know, and, and, and it looks like he's losing his mind too, because he, he's shooting, he almost shoots his wife at one scene early in the movie because like she, he hears the wailing. That's how the whole thing starts. He hears a woman crying somewhere in the house and he goes to investigate with his pistol drawn. And when his, when his wife walks in in a white dress, you know, kind of fitting, mm-hmm. uh, he, he tries to shoot her. And then like they, they, uh, the, the security in the household kind of locks him down and, uh, they take that away from him. And the rest of the movie is like, he's dying of cancer too, I believe is what the movie's showing. And his daughter is like actually a, uh, is a doctor and she's helping treat him because after the, after they had those trials, and all these native women come out to talk about their stories about how they were raped, how their families were killed in front of them. They have the tr- this traditional dress on as they're speaking that makes them look really creepy too, because they, they look like they're these ghostly spirits inside of this like traditional outfit. But like uh, they they get the the verdict they want. They they the the court convicts him of the crimes that he's you know they're accusing him of. But then like he's also got friends higher up in the government, and they overturn the ruling. So the rest of the movie is them like they're constantly having like people outside protesting, singing, and you got all that going on outside the home. And it's a good use of the budget too, because of the fact that they can sequester all of the main actors and actresses into one location and give you the, the vibe of that there's a bigger world going on outside of it, but they're kind of caught in this island, if you will, you know, while it's all going on. Uh, but they can't set foot outside of it because if they do, then they might get attacked by the protesters. Yeah. Um, so the wait staff knows that he committed this stuff or at least heard about it. They, they refuse to work for him except for like, uh, one main, uh, 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 loyal wait staff person, uh, uh, Valerina, I believe is her name. And so they, they get this woman in from the town who they've heard about called Alma and the way she comes in, the way the actress portrays her, she's just taunting right from the get go. She's got these big, you know, like, you know, soulful eyes and like, you know, she looks like that she's seen some shit. Like even whenever she comes into the place in Mexico, she probably has. Well, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that she's, uh, she's very quiet. She's very to herself, but, and, and, and the water aspect works in real neat in a couple of ways. They've got a pool, first of all, that they've got in their, their palace. Mm -hmm. And so the daughter, the granddaughter of the, uh, of the, uh, general, she's always taking that granddaughter and having her like see if she, how long she can hold her breath underwater, no. you know, and like it's, and, and it looks like she's trying to drown her, but she's not, there's a, I'll get in the reason why in a little bit, but it's, it looks like she's attack, you know, like, and that's what the family assumes, but that's not what she's doing. But also every time that she gets near water, like, you know, sinks, faucets and all that, they turn on mysteriously by themselves. And so it works in the water aspect that you talked about, yeah. you know. Interesting, interesting. 
she uses, I mean, she's very good looking. So, I mean, so the, of course the general, like, you know, that's part of the way that she starts the family unraveling. That's part of her, you know, against him at least. Cause she, she's not, she's totally not against them at all. Like she's, she's all about getting the general his due. So, okay. uh, the generals, uh, sees her like coming back in from a night swim at one scene in the movie. And of course he goes in there and it look, and they catch him basically jacking off to her while she's like trying to take a shower. And so whenever they do that, then the, then the wife no can no longer defend him and say that it, he wasn't one of those creeps or whatever. Now it starts playing on her. Now she's turned against him. And then it goes from there to show that like every night the, his wife, the general's wife is like having these dreams that she's in like this, uh, rural Guatemalan village and she's trying to protect her two children as the, as soldiers surround them and try to keep them or, you know, and, and trying to find them and kill them basically. Yeah. And so she's reliving almost past is what it amounts to in the movie. It shows her at one point in time, she's like, she's, they've had to hide inside the shack for so long that she ends up like basically pissing herself. And then the, the, you know, in the dream and then in real life, she really does. Uh, and you know, wets the bed. And so the daughter, you know, being the doctor says, well, maybe it's just, you know, old age or something, but no, that's, it was cause she was in such a vivid dream. And then later on, the whole thing comes back about the, the breathing underwater because uh, Alma did that originally her own two children. They, the soldiers were getting ready to come in there and brutally murder them. And there was a creek nearby. So she told them to dunk underneath and to hold their breath as long as they could. So that maybe the soldiers would pass them on by. And unfortunately they caught them and killed them anyway. So, Ugh. um, so that's how it works in that aspect of the La Llorona, you know, uh, lore. And of course she was brutally raped and by, and killed by the general too. So, I mean, you know, and, and the wife eventually sees that, and it, and that's that's like the big culminating scene of the movie, is that uh, they're all gathered around. Uh, one of the neat things they start doing is they start noticing that a lot of the people who were declared uh, killed by the general and like his uh, you know cohort, uh, they've got pictures of them or whatever because that was the protesters holding up. Have you seen my family member? They they disappeared or whatever. They were assumed dead. Well, they start appearing in the protest crowd throughout oh. the movie so more and more of the ghosts keep coming in you know throughout the movie and at the very last scene they're totally surrounded by all these spirits who have made their way inside the gates of the, the mansion and are staring them down alma is nowhere to be seen anymore but she is possessed the 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 wife of the general and she, and the and she finally sees the final scenes about how they killed almost kids and then you know and then attacked her and she sees that the general was the very one that attacked and raped Alma and and told and and you know ordered for the kids to be killed and so whenever it switches back to the you know what she's no longer seeing in her dream to the real world they're all you know gathered around the circle around the the general who is having like kind of an asthmatic attack or something like that she she basically strangles him to death and kills him so alma uses the wife of the general to get her, her final revenge against him which is pretty cool you know way to to show that scene um really well done nighttime scenes too. Like they work in like this plague of frogs at one point and like just the, the way that they have the water and the, the fog moving off of the water and, and the way that Alma, you know, is kind of gliding through the house at night or whatever. It's like, it's not in a necessarily supernatural way, but not, not supernatural way. If you, I mean, you have to see the movie to know what I'm talking about, but uh, they do a really good job with those scenes. Really creepy. The, the, 
Guatemalan like uh, natives music is being played in the background during all of this. So it kind of creates this otherworldly vibe. But um, the daytime scenes are kind of overlit and kind of look more like a soap opera. So it kind of uh, the daytime scenes are not that good, you know. But that's because of the budget and everything. Um, I'm looking I, at photos really though. Like Some of the scenery is really beautiful. In yeah, the, in that um, Latin aspect, you know. They did a great job with it, and they did a great job with the limited uh, scenery that they they could they could use. And that was I'll get into that in the trivia. But they could only use that mansion uh, legitimately to, to film in because they were threatened by their government, uh, if they tried to, if they tried to use anything else yeah. because that Guatemalan government does not like the fact that they portrayed their, the previous leaders as being dictators that did anything more than, you know, uh, you know, fart rainbows and, you know, create everybody's greatest dreams. You know, it's one of those type situations. Um, but <clears throat> Really well done movie. I mean, it's it's got the political bent to it. It's got, I mean, it's got the message to it, but like it doesn't, but the message is not, the message is worked into the movie. It's not like overly preachy, you know, yeah. about it. It's, and, you know, stuff like that does happen in these third world, like, you know, South American countries. So, I mean, it's, it's believable that, you know, that they could have went on a rampage like that and then created a creature like Alma, you know, as a as kind of a spirit of vengeance. Yeah, um, this film follows a more traditional story, basically exactly what this film was of a general that is going and uh, massacring uh, towns because that's one of the uh, tales of this. And he leaves his wife behind um, and she thinks that he's going to come back to war and he's really out kind of philandering and doing basically what you're hearing. And (laughs) when he does come back, uh, he is crazy and he's basically ordering her killed as well as the children. So it's another version. It is supposed to be the traditional story, but it's not a story that I had ever heard prior to more recent times. So I don't know in terms of there being so many different lores or types of lore for La Llorona. I don't know which one is the original. I, I, it's one of those stories that that's easily moldable to whatever the region is and whatever the, you know, the, the cultural climate is of the you know of the region that it's it's from you know what i'm saying it's just like if you want to work in the politics of the region and stuff like that you very well could because the base story kind of fits that mold if you needed to yeah now i know when it comes to i won't be able to give any input uh on the story the acting or the sound but and i know you only get so much when it comes to stills of the movies but holy crap um it looks pretty gorgeous in terms of what I look for in a film. Those nighttime scenes are beautiful. Like they, I mean, and they do such a good job. I mean, like that, that actress they got, she really, she conveys almost entirely everything through her face more than, I mean, because she barely speaks anything in the movie. It's because she's one of those and where she's the staff, she's not expected to speak to begin with. She's there to do as she's told. Yeah. And so like, I mean, it's it's a nod and a you know a quick you know yes sir yes ma'am type situation from her. But then like whenever you see her interacting with a granddaughter, when you see her interacting, you know like coming through the house, whenever you know nobody when you're seeing her and maybe the general seeing her, but nobody else is. There's a she got she puts off a different vibe or whatever just through her body language and just her her facial expressions. So it, it's she does a really good job. Yeah, I thought you were describing Sri Lanka. 
uh as far as the acting and the music and all that i mean it, it services the story i mean it they they do a pretty good job the guy who plays the general uh he he does even though he's like this older guy that's like you know he, he he's always got a cigarette that he's you know smoking <laughs> or whatever which is kind of funny considering papa charlie but yeah uh, he's the opposite of papa charlie like he projects that like you know uh he it's funny because he knows how to work his angle like there's one scene in the movie where like he's in the hospital right after their ambulance has been attacked his ambulance has been attacked on the way because he fakes like being sick or something right at the you know whenever they declare him to be guilty of all the crimes at that you know judicial committee and then he starts fake it's almost like you know a fred sanford like oh i'm dying of a heart attack and then they rush him to the hospital well before they get there they put him in a um they put him in an ambulance and there's a real good scene where like the whole ambulance is shaking because the protesters are so riled up. And when he gets to the hospital, he's basically like Mr. Uh, Rico Suave with the nurse, like the young nurse that's there, you know, giving you another hint that, you know, back in his day, he was definitely a poon hound, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> he was, uh, cause I mean, he's sitting there and he's giving her the eye and he's just like, you know, if I was a few years younger, you'd be down here doing what, doing the business to me, you know, and she kind of just chuckled and you know walks away so but uh he knows how to play that defenseless angle when he needs to around his family too to make them think that he's you know not not the terrible monster that he truly is but he is uh yeah he's shit and he gets what he deserves at the end of the movie and the cool thing is is that it doesn't end there with him dying there's another scene after that he's had a scene earlier in the movie where him and his uh top tier you know like the uh, lieutenants are all gathered together and one of them in particular is freaking out it's like well if you go down we go down and he just basically you know that's when he's showing his force of power in the movie and he tells that guy to you know don't be a bitch you know like we'll take this like man and you know and we'll get through it uh but whenever he dies uh one of his lieutenants is shown at the end of the movie and he's kind of like walked in there after he's heard that the general's passed away and he's kind of freaked out and he's at the urinal in the bathroom and there's nobody and everybody else leaves and all of a sudden he hears a woman crying off in the distance and it kind of hints that he's next like she's after him now yeah for any any i don't care who you are for any latino that hears the weeping in any it doesn't matter where you are if you're by yourself and you hear an echoing weeping woman somewhere in your surroundings you're fucking out of there like it's like get the fuck out we don't care what's happening it's not cool um we will shit ourselves yeah anybody who's played the game left for dead would be the same way because oh the whale a, uh, or the no the banshee yeah, is the it? witch the witch yeah oh. god damn that's some scary shit whenever that whenever you hear the weeping you're like oh god don't shoot don't shoot there's there's one of them around here yeah especially <laughs> in the second one the, that scene when you're going through the cornfield and the water's starting to flood in it like you can't see anything and all you hear is a witch crying while you're in the cornfield so basically you have a la llorona in left for death <laughs> yes 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 um, she's even like she's even in white i believe so it it works she's, it in, a, works. she's in a wife beater <laughs> she is she's in this torn up wife beater shirt okay um i would like to announce that the films that my husband and i watched and i was very wrong on the timeline the first one was from 2006 and i don't know when the second one came out um but i'm sure not very long after that was the whaler and it was basically it was based on la Llorona. i don't 
know for sure that they were completely in Spanish. I can't remember now. I thought that they were, but that could just be my memory fucking serving me incorrectly. Um, I almost think that we rented them off of Netflix back when it was renting the actual DVDs. Like they I would thought know we saw you. one in the theater. No. We, we probably saw, like, The Curse of La Llorona. But oh, yeah. The Whaler was really good in terms of slasher horror. Because when she basically got you, she was going to fuck your world up. Have you seen any of these movies, Reverend? I have not, but The Whaler sounds like a movie about a chubby chaser to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Much like the woman in white sitting across from you, babe. <laughs> really? It is not the but whaler I, as in a whale. I, I know. It's just funny. <laughs> Whenever I heard that, that was the first thing I thought of. I was just like, okay, we're going to harpoon this bitch. Let's go. Let's. Uh, yeah, this movie is also called The Cry uh, from 2005. Uh, when you look at the, the picture of her, which is pretty fucking creepy, it is titled The Whaler La Llorona. Um, so definitely a La Llorona film. A uh, lot of Mexican, uh, they had a Day of the Dead aspect in one of the films. Uh, and she's going to fucking get you. When you hear her cry, she is picking people off left and right. So if you're looking for a slasher type La Llorona film, this is the one I thought we were <laughs> reviewing for whatever reason. <laughs> you okay. know, it's not our fault that when there's 900 La Llorona films out there, that this, something like this would happen. Yeah, I mean, we, we discussed which one we wanted to cover, but I, I guess it might have just been lost in translation that I, I said the Shudder one I knew was pretty good. I did like, not you know, know. Well, of course, I don't have Shudder because Shudder doesn't sponsor you us. A, you have access to Shudder. Don't don't start that. I do you not have, AMC have it. Plus. Oh, wait, what? I can get through to there through that? Yeah. I did not yeah, you fucking get all know Shutter that. stuff through AMC Plus. Yeah. AMC, thank you for not sponsoring us. We are subscribing but if you want to sponsor us we are looking for sponsors at the moment <laughs> so reverend what is your uh rating of this film well let me give you some trivia about it first okay yes, i think yes, this yes. is interesting about okay it. okay so it was a official submission of guatemala for the best international feature film category for the 93rd academy awards of 2021 damn First uh, Guatemalan film to ever be nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, La Llorona de los Café Tales, a seven and a half minutes long video by Jero Bustamante starring uh, Maria Mercedes Caroy and featuring Gabby Marino's version of the traditional song La Llorona was featured in February 2020 as the film's official trailer. Uh, speaking of that, it has a very cool song at the end of it that's like a traditional song about La Llorona. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like one of those call and response type songs, you know, where it will say a line and then it will repeat the line back, you know, that type of thing. Oh, yeah. And, but, but they pronounce it La Chorona, Chorona. So I guess it's like the, the local pronunciation of the LL is what I looked up and saw. But it, just, it was interesting every time I heard it because I kept expecting the ya and it was cha. La Charona. La Charona. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 yeah. Do, do. No, it wasn't that one. Um, but it's it's a it's a kind of, it's a very sad song. Like it's basically like you know uh, you know where are your children Charona, and then it goes on. It's like you know, uh, and it, it goes talks about the war and you know like you you lost them and and that sort of thing. But it's a very cool way from the in the movie. So uh, yeah, if um, you know anything about 
well, I, it's Guatemalan, so I don't want to be disrespectful. Um, specifically, Mexican is, music is what I listen to, but the, the emotion. They will cry when they sing, so <laughs> that's a big thing. Like, you have it, to. It almost has, like, a funeral dirge type, like, feel to it, even if it's not like, you know, like you would think a funeral dirge, like in a European sense, you know, like not the, it, it's, it's, but it's, it's like a long, like morning song more than it is anything. Like it, it's, they're mourning for Yorona, you know, or Chorona in this case, you know, like the, you know, the fact that she, you know, suffered through all these hardships, she lost her children, you know, and all this stuff. So that's how they kind of end the movie. Yeah. Uh, because of the political nature of the story, the director had to shoot the film as quickly as possible and had to rely on the assistance and protection of both the French and Mexican embassies, as well as the Jesuit university for location shooting. Officials in Guatemala didn't want a film that painted the government there. Even one that was no longer in power as bad in any way. Fucking shit. That's a good way to prove that you're not a dictatorship of a country. Yeah, it's like, uh, shut this down now. And then like, uh, no, I'll go to some embassies and film in those. And that's how I'll get this movie out there. Uh, Bustamante was really careful to balance politics, reality, and horror within the script. Uh, he didn't want the horror surrealism to overshadow the real world violence. Uh, you know, that's kind of the point of the movie. He kind of wanted to, you know, talk about the region and some of their history. Uh, the film's low budget didn't allow for much world building, so the director worked closely with a sound designer, Eduardo Caceres, to fill the outside environment with sounds of people and pre-Columbian instruments and music, which, like I said, it, it, it's effective because the family at one point in the movie, like, they they have no peace, which they don't deserve, really. I mean, yeah. well, it's not the family's fault. It's it's the general, but, yeah. like, I mean, they're they're constantly bombarded by people, you know, protesting in song, protesting with music, you know, like, all the time. Um, uh, the the uh, street sets were built within the ambassador's house because even if they had been allowed to film on actual streets, they were too dangerous for filming. Oh, How yeah. about that, folks? I mean, like... If they filmed on the streets, they could have been killed in the process. That is... I mean, <laughs> I think that adds to the characterization of the movie and the people that are in it. It's just... It's crazy because you have all these, like... I mean... You know, we complain about the woke stuff, but you have these people who are legit, like, you know, complaining about, like, you know, first world problems. And then you have this guy who's trying to film a movie and, like, you know, based upon his culture. And he's legit, like, hey, he could have been killed over it because of the fact of, you know, like, what's going on in his country. Um, That's insane. Crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, Bustamante said the closed-in setting of the house was actually a positive challenge because it kept him close to the general and allowed some humanization of the character that would have been harder to accomplish without the close proximity, which is a fair point because, I mean, where you're closed in and you're stuck in that prison with a general, you get to see more of his, you know, daily interactions, you know, with everybody, and that kind of gives more... It, uh, not humanization in the sense that you empathize with him. You don't. It, it just get, it makes more of a grayish person versus a start, you know, oh, he's the bad guy, you know, yeah. type situation. Um, it also fit the story because Latin American dictators tend to close themselves in from potential threats and narrow their exposure. So it does that. that is true. It does fit that way. Um, the Shining and its use of light as well as dark to create horror was one of the director's inspirations. He was also inspired by the use of light and dark in the paintings by Diego Velasquez and Goya, 
And uh, there is some friggin' horrific Goya photo or pictures I put in here in the show notes. But, like, if you look down there, especially that last one of that creature that's, like, you know, eating another human being like that giant. Hey. Like, I, Goya was on some shit, you know. Like, I'm... <laughs> on some shit. Right? I mean, oh, my God, is that Black Phillip? Yeah, it looks like Black Phillip's, like, you know, uh, uh, on the outside of a circle of it looks like praying nuns or something. That's kind of crazy, too. I am <laughs> sharing that in the video. Well, if I can show it on the video. <laughs> uh, my rating for this movie is a 3.8. I, it's, it's not the best movie out there. You can tell the, the budget constraints, but uh, those nighttime scenes and the, the way they worked in the La Llorona, like, lore into this black lit political type film i i think they did a great the, the director did a great job with it a 3.8 is not that bad because if you think about it we're on the rotting corpses scale it's five right it's yeah 3. It's 8, out of five, five. so i mean it's, that's pretty it's not decent, terrible considering it's yeah. i mean a lower budget film it's not it's a shutter exclusive which those are gonna start coming more to light i feel like on you know it, it, we, we we definitely love shutter here on this podcast so yeah, I mean, if anybody's in the claymation, you need to watch that movie Mad God. That's a, like a Shutter exclusive, I believe. It's on Shutter. Um, that movie is friggin'. I mean, it, it, the visuals in it are fucked up beyond belief. It's literally just. I mean, there's there, there. I don't think there's any dialogue in it. There might be like one line if there's that much, but it's like this just hellscape of like uh, claymation and like I mean. I, I kudos to Phil Tibbetts who did that movie because I mean uh, the amount of patience it took to film all those little cl claymation uh, sick twisted characters that he put yeah. in that movie are, is nuts. Is it actual claymation? Is it stop motion? It's stop motion. Okay. Yeah, it's for sure. Like I mean, it's got a few scenes where there's like human actors in it, but yeah. they're very far and few in between. I'm kind of glad you brought that up because the other day you were talking, you were showing me the new comic. Well, kind of, it's like comics of the Leica films, Paranorman, and Coraline, yeah. and those are those are stop motion, and it kind of brought to light. You, we don't, I don't think there's enough Leica films to do a season of Leica. But there might be enough stop motion because that could also include Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, The Corpse Bride. Like, would we consider that as a season? Are we going to, how are we going to in integrate those films into Death Holler? I don't know that you'd do those a season. You could work those in. I was thinking you could work those in definitely during the April Fool's month because a lot of those have comedy aspects or yeah. whatever uh, to dip to the seasons that they kind of fit in like paranormal uh, zombie season for sure like oh, that's, yeah. that's one of the ones that would be there um i don't know about Coraline. i don't know what season that would fit in because it's like that that otherness of the the other family i don't know what that that's a whole genre of itself you know yeah. like the it's almost like possession but not tight not quite there you know it's like just you know they're like there are things that look like people but not people like they're they're that's a genre of, of its own but i don't even know what you would call that so a horror fantasy i know we talked about horror fantasy actual horror fantasy not the <laughs> lady in white <laughs> i'm just kidding um so it could it could almost fit in in human horror too possibly but that's a little more far-fetched it could. Uh, by the way, Barbarian definitely fits in the human horror. So oh, nice. that will be during the human horror season for sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's also Kubo and the Two Strings. We cannot deny how some of these films are there for kids, but there are horror in them. 
Yeah, he definitely puts like enough horror elements into those films that they that a horror fan should be able to enjoy them. I mean, I don't know how you could watch like Coraline and not like have some enjoyment out of it at least a little bit, just because. I mean, as much as I dislike some of his hot political takes, Neil Gaiman or whatever is a master storyteller, and I mean, he you know yeah. he made Coraline, so. Hmm. I mean, Leica. Uh, legend. Okay, so when it comes to Leica alone, films produced, we're talking Coraline, Kubo, and the Two Strings, Paranorman, Box Trolls. I have not seen. I hear such good things about it though. Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things about that one too. Corpse Bride, which they did Leica do that because I know that's a Tim Burton, and not everything Tim Burton is. Tim Burton produced it. But then, like they, he kicked it off to that other company. So maybe, like a, like maybe it's it's within that realm or whatever. In which, I mean, the Corpse Bride itself is a movie that you know you were saying like the Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know where that fits exactly because I'm thinking Nightmare might fit fit into like a monster movie season because yeah. there's monsters all in that movie. I don't know about the Corpse Bride because that's all. That's almost like a, a Lady in White. Oh my <laughs> I mean, gosh, honestly. she really is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, but it, and then it goes on other ones I have not, I'm not too familiar with, well, dinosaurs I am, but Moon Girl and Shadow Play. Um, there's also movies like Frankenweenie, that's stop motion, but it's not Leica, you know, and that's more of a friendly horror, that's when bad animals go bad, you know, that's April (laughs) Fool's when bad animals go bad, so, I mean, yeah, you're right, we just, we're just gonna have to fit them in where we can, um, but yeah, you're right. Corpse Bride is kind of along that uh, lines of Lady in White. Well, let's just review it real quick. I let's mean, we got, let's we got a few do it. Here. Fuck yeah, <laughs> folks! Congratulations. This is a bonus part of the show that we were not planning at all. Um, we're not going to have much history about it, but I mean, yeah, it's uh, Tim Burton produced. Uh, got the same animation style. Got Johnny Depp, uh, Helena Bonham Carter. You know, you got them as the, some of the main folks in that. Um, I think I, I like the story of it well enough. Now, it to me, it's not as entertaining as Nightmare Before Christmas. There's there's the the good. It has a good beginning and it has a good end, but I feel like the middle it kind of just meanders for a bit. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, you know, there was there's so much fucking shit that I love about the Corpse Bride. Uh, for one, just this is this is a joke more than anything. But I'm serious. How the the two that are kind of being forced into marriage because money is a thing uh, back in the day. So basically, I mean, I don't know. Like, it in this film, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of, um, oh, God, what is that called? Uh, what you have to pay in order to get the bride. There's a specific word for it. Dowry. A dowry, yes. I, the, the one I was joking about for little Lucifina. The, yeah. <laughs> telling her that there's a big dowry on her right now <laughs> in the Scooby <laughs> Between the children and the Scooby gang. Um, but uh, Victor and Victoria, I like their names. And then it's Victorian times, so yes. it's a play on that, too. Absolutely. So. Um, here, let me go into, let's go into the plot real quick. Um, in this unnamed. Just real quick. Oh, go ahead. Real quick on the cast. It's got Christopher, the great Christopher Lee. Oh, uh, yeah. Who I failed to mention a few episodes back on uh, the Lord of the Rings guy I was talking about that I was completely blanking on. And then uh, Danny Elfman plays uh, Bone Jangles in this. So uh, he's actually in this as well. Love in addition that. to doing the, the music. 
And uh, Deep Roy, if, you, if anybody remembers the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that uh, Tim Burton did, which is not as good as Willy Wonka, you know, the, the Gene Wilder version. It is not, and I'll fight you over that if you say that it is. However, uh, Deep Roy was all of the Oompa Loompas in that movie, so there you go. Oh, they, my God. Uh, Tim Burton working with the people that he's used to working with. Uh, here's some important information. Its budget was $40 million. It cost a lot of fucking money to make stop motion. It was produced, uh, excuse me, there's two companies, Tim Burton Productions, which clearly we, we discussed this, and Leica, uh, which is why we're bringing this up because I decided to talk about Leica. Um, box office. Box office alone, are you ready for this? $118.1 million. Out of a so, $40 million well, budget. That, that- that's that's exceeding the budget by quite a bit. That's good. Oh that's yeah. Good. Um, so real quick on the plot, um, in an unnamed Victorian town, <laughs> as we so mentioned, Victor Van Dort, <laughs> <laughs> fucking name, the son of uh, a kind of rich. Fishermen's not really, they're not doing as great right now. And Victoria Everglot, the neglected and unloved daughter of impoverished aristocrats. So they were once doing well, but now they're somewhat impoverished, which is pretty. They're basically trying to use their wealth in the movie mm-hmm. to uh, fish their daughter out to somebody who's, who is actually wealthy so they can get their money back is what they're yes. trying to do. Uh, her, so, uh, this, excuse me, the impoverished aristocrats prepare for their arranged marriage, which will stimulate raised and social class of Victor's parents and restore the wealth of Victoria's family, according to the plan, which is a big fucking thing in that film. So they have this huge plan. Obviously, as the film goes on, we find out that neither of the family have anything really to offer, um, specifically Victoria's family, which is putting on the big gloat that they do. They're, they're dead broke, but they're assholes because they, they sit there and they act like they've got money, even in the face of the fact that they don't. Even when it's presented to everybody, they still act like uppity pieces of shit. So, I mean, yes. you know, you <laughs> you got that going on for them. At least Victor's family is not wealthy. And, I mean, even if they're in on a little bit of a grip trying to get him off to a, you know, rich, quote-unquote rich family, they, they, they're a little bit more humble about, you know, all their stuff. So Absolutely. <laughs> um as it goes on, uh, we find out, well, another prospect comes along, the villain in the story. We'll find out later on with this. I won't go too deep into that. And then where does the co- corpse bride come in? Well, Victor actually kind of likes Victoria when he first meets her and is very nervous. He cannot get through the vowels. We have a scene where he absolutely <laughs> cannot get through his vowels. Uh, he decides to, as he's walking home, to practice, and as he says his vowels perfectly and places a ring on what appears to be a twig sticking out of the ground, it ends up being the corpse bride's finger, which brings her to life <laughs> because in her death, we find out that she died by the hands of the villain, and that uh, the basic- pastor, if I remember right, wasn't he? Or, or not? Not the pastor. He was that uh, the one guy that came in there. The uh, the the one guy that was going to that Victoria was going to be ox or you know dowried off to or whatever the the suitor like at the end of the movie. Yes. Or whatever. is so. it Lord Barkus? Yes, that's it. Yeah, Lord Barkus bit bit bittern. a presumed wealthy uh, visitor who appears at the wedding rehearsal. He just inserts himself. Um. The the 
a couple of things about that. When that scene where he's walking through or he's, he's reciting those lines and he's walking off and that it, it reminds me a lot of the night before Christmas where Jack is walking with zero you oh, know, yeah. through the forest. And he's kind of like having that internal monologue. So soliloquy that he's doing, you know, amongst himself. And it kind of has got that same vibe that they've kind of hinted at. And that scene, uh, that's one of the scenes I like in the corpse bride movie is just cause it, it's so creepy. The fact that he's out there in the middle of nowhere and there's this shallow grave that he doesn't even, is not even aware is there and then you know that twig turns out to be one of her bony fingers or her actual uh is it a ring finger or index i can't remember which i thought it was an index um, it looked like an index but allegedly it was her ring finger but anyways like he and he perfectly and and if i remember right when i first heard about that movie it's based on a russian legend of of of, that's that's got that the whole it's the whole story's like that about a woman who was uh, jilted in you know in her marriage or whatever uh, died either committing suicide which is what they you know hint at in the movie until it's revealed at the end she was actually poisoned or you know going back to the whole like you know woman in white you know who, who committed suicide vibes but uh, you know that there was actually like you know the story was that if you proposed to her you know like that you know you'd be bound to her you know for eternity or something like that so it's actually based on real lore oh yeah and in this particular story Victoria actually fell in love with the suitor and she thought that they were going to run away and get married he had convinced her to you know gather her family's riches jewels as much as you know she he could or she could and when she went to go meet him in the exact spot she was murdered uh that's when he took her down and took off with all her goods uh it's only when he returns also acting like victoria's family like he's this rich suitor uh, it's because he's dead broke and he needs to find out another way to kind of cash in. Uh, he thinks Victoria. Yeah, he's already used up all Victoria, uh, all the money from the corpse brides like that he he stole from her. He's used it all up, so now he's needing the next you know uh, con or whatever to get him through. Yes, and let's not be disrespectful. Corpse bride name is Emily. <laughs> For the- <laughs> if you haven't well, seen this film, <laughs> I'm joking about being disrespectful. She's the corpse bride. Yeah. It's it's Helena Bonham Carter. I mean, it's fine. You know, yes. it's funny. Another Harry Potter, you know, alum. There we go. I mean, you know. Yes, and also <laughs> it, it all goes back. <laughs> and with Helena Bonham Carter, she has a job for life with Tim Burton. I mean, I don't know so much now. I think they're still on good terms. Clearly, she has. She's the mother of his bastard children, as she likes to refer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know if you you. I don't think you're into Harry Potter that much. But no. they had the um, just a quick aside. They had that whole like uh, uh, HBO Max like reunion that they had recently, like this past winter, where they had like all of them come back and they were like talking about the movies like twenty years on and what they thought about them. Helena Bonham Carter was the funniest part of that. Like she just she had she was just. Uh, fun outgoing like she didn't give a shit she was like the cool aunt you know when she oh, came yeah. in there like and so i mean kudos to her because you look at her and i don't know in a lot of her movies she always plays like kind of the psychotic you know like uh i mean of course goth inspired but i mean and you know but like almost like she's like a you know somebody who's chronically depressed or ready to commit suicide but in real life she's just like out, over you know, this bubbly outgoing person so it was just funny to see yeah <laughs> um so let's we we put the basic premise of the story down we know that there's two people kind of being forced into a marriage they do kind of like each other uh we know that their families are both kind of poor 
we know that there is a villainous suitor who is out of money and trying to cash in on what he thinks is Victoria's rich family. And we have his dead bride-to-be that is coming back for vengeance. Let's get into what we liked about the film. Or, in general, things we know about the film. Um, Well, I mean... I do like the scenes in the afterlife. Um, I, I feel like they were done slightly better by another film later on, Coco. But I do like the the after, you know, like this version of the afterlife. It's not quite the Day of the Dead, but it's got that vibe going to it. You know, um, a lot of them are skeletons. You know, they've they've decayed to that point, and you know, uh, I think only a few of them have the zombie look to them. Uh, the claymation is great in this movie. They took all of the things that they learned while making Nightmare and, like, you know, improved upon it. Um, uh, they got the perfect actors and actresses to play the parts. I mean, Johnny Depp is, you know, great as the character of Victor. And then uh, Helena Bonham Carter is, uh, Carter is like uh, Emily, the corpse bride. She does a great job. Um, Christopher Lee is the pastor, like, eating up the scenery like he always does. I just feel like the the thing for me is that that middle section of the movie, it just keeps going back and forth, showing a lot. I mean, it, it's for a purpose, but, like, the scenes with Victoria's family and how they're trying to, like, win this the, this scumbag over, even though they don't realize that he's already sold on the whole thing because he's, he's got alternative uh, ulterior motives. Yeah. Uh, that bores the shit out of me in the middle of the movie. It really does. Like, it's only – the and, and the, they do this for a reason – but the only part of the world that has any color to it, any kind of vibrancy, is the world of the dead because yeah. they're they're trying to make a point politically about how the Victorian age was all about, and that, and that kind of goes back maybe to the you know the reason the woman in black was the, the snooze that it was toward the end is that you had to have this you know you had to be a, just a bland you know like person you couldn't really show any emotion you couldn't really you know be out there in any way shape or form because it was just improper to be any other way and they they kind of point out how the, at, during this time period the dead had more fun than the living did which is kind of interesting yeah i mean <laughs> they really drove that home which was so funny I'm, I'm trying to think um, of what the it's song fun, was called. It's even funnier whenever the dad come back later on. Oh yeah, and like you know, and 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 like the dad are like you know you know living it up. They're like you know how you doing you know grandson and like you know and then the like and it's the old grandpa and then like the 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 mom and dad are giving them a look like. That's not the way that somebody of your station should be acting around children. You know, like that that whole thing. Like they keep. You oh know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, can we talk about the scenery? I know you kind of brought it up a little bit, but I wanted to also mention, so, you know, aside from you, yes, setting a tone, they were very specific about what kind of tone they were setting. Uh, the grayness of the film when you're supposed to feel cold and drawn and the vibrance of the film when you're supposed to feel light. So when Victor first meets Victoria and he's playing the, the song on the piano, beautiful, by the way, I, I loved that scene. Um, and she kind of joins him, but there's a lot of mm-hmm. grayness. Uh, they had just met each other. They'll know each other. They have to try to get to know each other, but it like, I physically feel cold when I'm watching some of the gray scenes. How does that affect you? 
Oh, the the scene in particular, the beginning of the movie scene where he's like, you know, she's frozen underneath, you know, and like he and he doesn't realize that that's, you know, her finger that he's putting the ring on. Yeah. Like that whole thing just gives such a cold vibe to it that, I mean, you can actually, I mean, if you're watching at the, during like a heavy, uh, heavy time of AC going on at your house or, oh, yeah. or, you know, it's the middle of winter, you actually get a chill just from the, the way that they've got the colors. Cause I mean he's kind of grayish white anyways. And then like, she's got that bluish color when she comes out. So I mean, like it all feeds into that. Yeah. Um, and then of course the, um, the, the remains of the day song is what it's called where they're basically again, having more fun being dead than alive, having more of a party downstairs. Uh, so much color and so much life after death. <laughs> it's, it's, which is a, Oh, good. It's, it's, I was just going to say it's an interesting, I mean, comparison, but also it's, it's, it's kind of a hopeful comparison because, you know, you expect in a movie like this, the, the land of the dead to be just like this down place, but they're just enjoying every minute of it, you know, oh, yeah. because, you know, there's no more pain and they get to, you know, spend time with the people they actually want to spend time with and, yeah. and, and nobody looks down on them for acting a certain way or being a certain way anymore. So, <laughs> um, the voice actors. Selling not only the area they're in, but also the time that they're in. It does a good job, and it's got that weird Burton aesthetic to it where, you know, the buildings are, you know, odd proportions mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they're different angles all over the place. It, it's definitely got the Tim Burton stank on it, if you want to call it that. So. Yeah, a lot of good sound and scenery. Um, well, sound for the scenery. I mean, you've got the echoey, empty, huge Victorian houses, you know, with the, I don't know, tile Floors, you can't tell what type of floors they are, but they sound like either the cement or tile, you know? Yeah, it, it would it, yeah, it'd probably be like stone during stone. that time period or something, so yeah. Yeah, you can hear the footsteps, you can hear the echoes, you can hear, uh, you know, when the wind, when Emily's coming, you, the wind whistling and bringing her, you know, uh, very good sound. Um, obviously, we talked about the music. <laughs> Nothing in a Tim Burton film, or excuse me, everything in a Tim Burton film that Danny Elfman is producing music-wise, it's going to fit the scene. There was nothing that didn't fit in terms of the music. Yeah, and it, it had that, you know, that general Danny Elfman score that, you know, it's kind of whimsical mixed with a little bit of the, I mean, you get a little bit of a... a mysterious creepy vibe whenever it needs to be in there you know he's real good at, at stuff like that you know even whenever he was in oingo boingo they they came up with that you know sort of sound so it it, it works uh yes um okay one of my probably my most favorite things and now corpse bride i probably should have researched this first uh it came out in 2005 Mm -hmm. uh, I got married in 2009. I did not base my wedding off of Corpse Bride. I did base it off of Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, so we did have that because we got married on Halloween. But I asked so many cake makers to make my cake like the Corpse Bride cake. And I don't know if you remember what that looks like, but it was basically busting at the seams. It was more rounded than anything it wasn't just a straight up and down cake uh and every different <laughs> section of separation uh there was skulls in each one but it was bones that was separating each section um i didn't at the time did not find anyone that was successful in doing it so i had to have a uh, nightmare before christmas cake which boohoo poor me 
<laughs> but I've told people many regrets I've had. One, not wearing a black dress to my wedding. I really wish I had worn a classy black dress. And two, I wish I had found someone who could have made that corpse bride cake. Husband didn't care. He was just wanting to eat food and he was dressed up and he was there because he was told to be so. <laughs> Did you end up at least getting like a cake decoration that had like a corpse bride and then like a, you know, or a victor looking groomsman on it or whatever? It was a Jack and Sally on the hill. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, okay. with surrounded yeah, by pumpkins. You had to go with that yes, and then they did get uh, pumpkins. Uh, they made pumpkins like the ones from Nightmare Before Christmas, and weird tree branches climbing up my tree. It was okay uh, for what we paid compared to what you can get now. It would have been better, but I'm not going to dwell on that. The cake was fucking delicious. That's one of the bad things in comparison to Nightmare, though, is that the songs are so good in Nightmare. Like, that end song where Jack and Sally are, like, singing to each other. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, so good versus, like, I can't really think of anything that stands out in The Corpse Bride as much as that. So Yeah, not in terms I mean, of romantic. The music is good, though, but you just don't get the duet that you get. Uh, the lyrics more so yeah. in Nightmare Before Christmas. In Corpse Bride, you get one big song with the lyrics, but mostly you get music in Corpse Bride. And I think that had more to do with like this behind the scenes thing that we'll probably cover again when we cover Nightmare. But like there was a point where the writer for Nightmare fucked everybody over and like he never actually turned in anything and he was like just using the money that they gave him like front loaded to uh basically snort a bunch of coke if i remember yikes and so danny elfman it will let fell upon his lap to since he was the only one who was actually doing anything at that time he he was writing the songs they crafted the movie around the songs that elfman had already came out with so that's the reason that nightmare probably stands out better that way yeah because the movie was based um had to be oh, yeah. more upon the, the music. Whereas this movie Elfman probably came in after they, you know, storyboarded and did everything they did. And he just added, you know, the music to it. He wasn't as involved in this one. Oh yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas by all <laughs> intents and purposes is a musical. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I hate yeah. musicals. <laughs> um, Storyline for the corpse bride. <clears throat> Strong storyline. Yeah. Good. Um, it's like I said, it's, it, it, it starts out really strong, ends pretty well. Like that whole scene where they, they have the big, you know, come up and it's in the church where, mm -hmm. you know, the guy, you know, gets the it poisoned himself and, oh, yeah. and now he's finally drugged down into the land of the dead and they're going to have the revenge on him now that, you know, he's, he's we're within their grasp. But the middle part of it, it just, it's every time I watch it, it's like I check out. It's one of those, it's the middle part of that movie. It's like I'll be looking at my phone and I'll look up and I was like, oh, here's another, you know, they're in the land of the dead. I'll watch this for a bit, you know, oh, yeah. and see, you know, because they have that one guy who does like the Peter Laurie impersonation of the little worm, you know, that's crawling oh, through yeah. you know, uh, Emily's body or whatever. But then, like, you know, there's all those other scenes where they go back to the the nondescript Victorian town, and I'm just like, snooze fest. It's supposed to be thematically, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, you know, yeah, kind of loses me. Um, Good kind of, in terms of woman in white, it's a good storyline. Yeah, it's a, it's a really neat variation on the theme. Definitely, and um, I think visually what enhances it is the gothy vibes that that film gives everything around it is creepy you're right you were talking about the tim burtony like awkwardly shaped buildings and things like that um and just little touches of details here and there 
you know, of skulls, skeletons, death, um, cemeteries, you know, so much uh, is what really kind of drew me in is why I like the film so much. So. Yeah, I, I, I like all that stuff, and it's got a very, you know, I mean, the, the corpse aspect of it, the dead aspect of it, very European-ish version of, like, the, the dead vibes or whatever, even if it does have more uh, Dios de los Muertos vibe at certain yeah. times because of the vibrant colors and all that. Oh, so. yeah, for sure. They didn't take it too far, though, so I, I can appreciate that. I mean, save it for an actual... Day of the Dead type film, like you know, obviously Coco and Book of the yeah. Dead, Book of Life. Excuse me, Book of the Dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, Book of Life. Yeah, <laughs> this took a dark turn. Um, so are we ready for ratings? Anything else? Is there anything else you want me to look up on the film? Mm, no, I think that's it. Without going into any major trivia about it, I mean that that stands out to me is like covering the basis for it. Well, uh, for let me, me see. Oh, hold on real quick. Before you go, let me see if there is anything that stands out because I got Wikipedia pulled up. Um, yeah. Just, to, I mean, I'm yeah, not going to, yeah, I'm not going to take it too far. Uh, production, music release, see also. No, I don't really. No. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing. The puppet, the puppets were uh, 9.8 to 11 inches tall, and some of the stages were so large that animators could actually fit through the set doors with minimal crouching. So they actually built sets that were about human size to film these little bitty puppets. That's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, I kind of remember seeing the like the behind-the-scenes and the making of that. Uh, the behind-the-scenes of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is pretty fucking interesting, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, uh, composer Danny Elfman originally wrote the part of Bone Jangles, but they, they were supposed to get somebody else to sing it, but they couldn't. And just like they couldn't whenever they were filming or, you know, making Nightmare and it fell back on Elfman to do the voice. But in this one, it was so brutal on his vocal cords that he was a horse whenever he had to voice the character. That he was left horse when he had to voice the character. Oh yeah, that was a pretty dramatic, that was different. At least in Nightmare Before Christmas, he sounded like himself. You know, and it was him saying, yeah. you don't, you can't do this, right? I'm just going to fucking There's do something it. so weird about that, though, in Nightmare, just comparing the two of them. It's, it's Chris Sarandon, who was the, you know, the vampire in the original Fright Night movie, uh, and also Prince Humperdinck and, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Princess Bride. Uh, he's doing the voice of Jack when he speaks, but then, like, Elfman's doing the singing voice, and they sound so close together that it doesn't even really sound like it's a different person in a lot of cases. I think that's insane Yeah, in that, in that movie. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you on that. Um, I did not know this. This is something that just came up right now, but Corpse Right is based off of Jewish lore. It doesn't specifically say which lore specifically. Maybe their version of Woman in White. I don't know. <clears throat> Yeah, Russian Jewish folk tales. What it says here, um, it says that it was, uh, which was introduced uh, by Joe Ramp to, to Burton while they were filming Nightmare, um, and then it says that uh, he and then they continued after this to go on and and do uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, right after they. I mean, because I guess they came out around the same time. They came out the same year, Charlie and Chocolate Factory and this, but I guess they were working on them almost simultaneously. So. That's kind of weird. Um, it also says here, 
that um, this is interesting for stop motion fans. When Victor plays the piano, he leans back and the nameplate says Harryhausen, which, you know, was uh, Ray Harryhausen's the one who did like the, the old stop motion that everybody, you know, remembers from the 80s, the ones that had like the, the Jason and the Argonauts and, you know, all oh, the, yeah. the stories like that where they had like the the stop motion uh, uh, Cyclops, st- stop motion uh, Medusa and all that that sort of thing. Good God. Yeah, there's a lot of lore on this. So uh, I think we should probably yeah. back out of that because there's a ton we could go over for such a quick, random, hey, let's review this. Uh, you ready to go into reviews? Uh, sure. All right. You uh, first. Four. Four? Four out of five. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, I'm going to have to be honest with you because uh, I get bored real easy, and you know that. Uh, there's nothing in this film that I didn't enjoy. From beginning to end, there is nothing about this movie that I disliked. Uh, it's weird because it's not my most favorite of all time, but it's just really high up there. So it's going to be, I'm going to, it's not a, I can't give it a five. I'm going to give it a 4.9 and a half. <laughs> it's really high up there. Just give it a five. Just Come give on, it a five. That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like there's other movies that are more perfect in terms of, in terms of favorite uh, yeah, we'll just give it a five. It, it's See, Nightmare it. for me is a five. I, I could never rate that anything less than that. Yeah. That movie is uh, a perennial rewatch. Uh, the music, you just... We went and watched uh, Nightmare. Uh, there, there's a thing that Nashville Symphony does where they play like a movie, but they have their orchestra there playing like the, you know, the the music. Ugh, I and wish. It, it's so good hearing that, the, like, you know, music like that, you know, when you hear all the different, like, instruments. But especially during Nightmare, uh, there's there's music, there's instruments that I didn't realize were in those songs that whenever they played like live in front of me, I just appreciated the music so much more in that movie. And you get that goosebump effect or whatever yeah. that fusing that we talked about, especially the beginning of it. Whenever you hear that dun dun yeah. dun 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 dun, you know, like it leads in the this is Halloween or whatever. I love that every time I hear it. I've so. only been able to see a version of that like on TV where I'm watching the band, the orchestra play for people watching the film. And it's clearly not the same. Uh, yeah. You, it, the, even the acoustics are different when you're there here in like the live, you know, band playing it. So yeah, the best we get out here is you get to watch it in 3d and it's like, okay, it is great to see it in 3d. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend it isn't, but I would love to see it to an actual, you know, orchestra playing it. That would be definitely on my to-do list. We don't have that out here, though. Um, how about this? In comparison of the two movies, if we were going to compare them, and by any chance I was going to give them both a five, which obviously they both are, it's a five plus for <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> and it's a five minus for Corpse Bride. No, I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah. That, that's fair. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so so for you the corpse is reanimated and back to life for nightmare and it's it's just a really fresh corpse for the for the corpse bride yes okay there gotcha. we go. slightly yeah slightly not as fresh <laughs> maybe opened and left out on the counter for like you know longer than 20 minutes so here's a quick question for you. So what is the state of blue collar BS? Because oh. there's a lot of drama that's went on with all this since last time we spoke. Well, so. there's not a lot of drama. Uh, obviously, they got kicked off of YouTube for sexual content. 
which with, is so dumb unless that it was it was it even flagging the hot mess express or was it something they did on blue collar do you all know or? no they didn't say anything they just said sexual content you're the you're out of here like no warnings no hey fix this there no you can't discuss this content they just kicked them the fuck off uh, no courtesy I whatsoever. I don't understand the sexual stuff. I, we we know that YouTube is is politically based and and mm-hmm. you know can and do stuff like that. Um, it just does, it doesn't make sense to me how they don't apply stuff equally because I mean I saw stuff what's way worse than like say a Nicki Minaj like YouTube you know like one of her videos or whatever as opposed to anything I ever saw on blue collar BS. But yet they get kicked off. You know for I sexual. challenge anyone listening to. Type in porn in the search bar of YouTube and you will get, you will, it's not safe for work at minimum, (laughs) even if what you're, the video that you're potentially going to look at, even if it isn't actual activity, you're going to get full blown vagina, penis, titties, everything. You're going to, it shows it. It does not blur it out. Nothing. You get, you're at minimum going to get a still of actual porn. So the fact that they got flagged for sexual content is bullshit. Uh, their page is called blue, Col- blue collar bullshit. So I guess, you know. Um, so yeah, the sexual content, that's irrelevant. There's no way. The worst we did on there obviously was the live waxing and you couldn't see anything. Nothing. Not even close. Well, and I mean, I've seen, even when you're talking about stuff like that, I feel like that, what was that one podcast, uh, 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 Caller Daddy or whatever yeah, it was call called, me daddy. you know, that was, yeah, it was like, I feel like stuff they talked about on there was like way worse. And I feel like I, YouTube carried some of their stuff for a while. So yeah. what, what's the difference there? So it definitely has to be political. Uh, the guys don't lean to a particular side. They're in the middle. So I don't know if YouTube didn't like that. Maybe they didn't go one side versus the other. Um, I, it's it's really hard to say. They're like I said, they didn't give any information, so you can catch Blue Collar BS soon on Rumble. And I will tell you this: we're not moving from YouTube, but we will also be available on Rumble when that happens. Uh, I plan on at least adding us to that. I feel like it's a broader audience of people looking for a specific thing, you know. And there's a chance that we might do really good on that. Yeah, there is. I mean, there. I don't feel like that market's as saturated yet. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm wrong in that, but I don't. I don't feel like it is. We could be. So I. I have really been thinking about that. I know I haven't said it to you over, but it's. I don't feel like, it's one of those unsaid things that I'm like, oh, he's probably gonna agree with this, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about it for a while. Just think. I mean, if nothing else, to have a good backup because even the the biggest YouTube people that i know they always post to rumble and even twitch just because like one of they're going to get struck on probably youtube at some point just um, based upon you know the political climate and everything so oh yeah definitely so yeah that's what's up with that all righty well with that peace be with you and with your spirit